Good evening, afternoon, morning, night. Whenever you find a way to watch or listen to this podcast, it is me, Omar, um, and Jackson. Of course, we we are back. Uh, it's been a while. I think it's been our first recording of the off season. Uh, it's been a busy off season for both of us. Um, I know, I know, even even me, just uh, getting guests on the podcast. It's been a been kind of a drag, but we're picking back up. And May is a time of year when you can start to see the uh, college football uh, season at the end of the tunnel, you start to see, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel in late May, as we were getting bowl, bowl, uh, bowl date releases a uh, little by little and uh, early season TV releases. So uh, Jackson, how's everything going? It's going good, man. Yeah. I, um, I like the college football is kind of taking after the NFL model where, Hey, there is a release date for all of these, but we're going to be leaking slowly off of the, all of these bowls just to get us talking and get the conversation going. So it's enjoyable to see kind of the announcements that are coming out about whether it is bowl games or kickoff times for some of the earlier week zero, week one games. But yeah, man, it's exciting. The light is at the end of the tunnel. This is usually like kind of the like dead period for me where like I'm, I'm, trying to not think about it too much but man i can't remember like a may or or upcoming june that i've been more excited for the season to start man it's getting close yeah absolutely i mean um it it is getting close and i mean now they think about it i mean it's before we know it like week zero get here we have a fun slate week zero games Uh, we have an ireland game again uh it looks to be a yearly tradition uh, as Georgia Tech and Florida State will play in 2024. So it looks like it's going to be rolling along every single year, which oddly enough is Georgia Tech's second time playing in Ireland. Like, uh, I, I don't know if uh, Georgia Tech has a strong alumni base in Ireland because they played in 2016 against Boston College as well there. But um, it's kind of strange. But, hey, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm just looking forward to the graphics team coming up with another killer poster for whatever the Ireland game is. I don't know if you remember from our Week oh, Zero yeah. preview last year for the Nebraska Northwestern game, the poster that came out for that. Really looking forward to the Navy Notre Dame one that comes out of it. Well, yeah, so that was more like the Northwestern. I feel like that was more the Northwestern graphics team, but I mean, oh, they got it really. Pay. Oh, never mind. I, I, I don't know. Like, um, maybe it was both. Maybe it was, it was, maybe it was Northwestern and A.R. Lingus. Uh, who collaborated so we'll have to see a different uh different famous side of ireland with uh maybe like maybe ty lava tie and uh and i don't even know who's playing quarterback for notre dame these days but uh, ty lava tie and audric estime running through some other landmark in, in ireland you know edited in because that was a, that was a fun graphic i might hang it on my wall yeah it was very good i just hang it up i would frame it on the wall it looked phenomenal yeah it's, um, yeah, it's home decor <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. But um, the the purpose, I guess, of this podcast today is to more go over a little bit of our opinions on the 12-team college football playoff format that obviously was announced a while ago, but the playoff itself put out some details about the scheduling of it. Um, and then also its impact on other bowl games. We're kind of recording this with the assumption that ESPN is going to follow suit of what they've done before is if there's a playoff game on, nothing else touches it. We're not going to have another one on ESPN2 or another one on ABC or something like that. So obviously that's going to displace some other bowl games from going on since we're, I don't want to say losing bowl games of anything we're kind of gaining because some of these are going to take place on, on campuses that if they're broadcasted solo, a bowl game that is traditionally put in that time slot is going to get moved. So um omar i want to get your opinions first on the 12 team playoff um i only want to spend so much time on it there's 
more important people with bigger personalities and stronger opinions that you can probably find. Uh, but what what are just your initial thoughts on it? Yes, I like what you said at the end, how like we're not there. We're not here for that. We're not here for the bigger media's narratives to discuss what bigger media does, because let's say they call it, let's say college football journalism is like Swiss cheese. There's holes in it. There's holes that need to be filled. And we're here to fill those holes. Those holes may not be big, but there's holes throughout all four, all three divisions and NAIA. Now, granted, we don't fill all the holes, you know, uh, D2 and below, but we fill some, you know, come playoff time. But yeah, like the, uh, I'd say the college football playoff has very few holes in its coverage of journalism. It's a very, um, I can't think of a cheese with small holes. Well documented, to put it politely. Yeah, well documented, and I can't think of a cheese with small holes, so we'll just we'll just move on from that. So <laughs> I'm not a cheese expert, but uh, yeah. So I mean, I think the playoffs. So now that I think about it, so at first I'm like, twelve teams is too much, but I'm like, I guess it was either six or twelve, and like I, I would prefer six, but now I think about it, like twelve. I guess twelve was an easy way to work things in because all New Year, all this, all six New Year's six bowls are factored in, and I think that's what that's what that, that's what the New Year six would have wanted. That's what each bowl committee would have wanted, but. It's also a paradox. It's kind of paradoxical because, yes, those bowls get the spotlight of being a quarterfinal or semifinal, but they lose the tourism aspect of bowl season, which uh, straight up, straight up the bowl season, uh, <laughs> the bowl season, I guess, officials when they had their annual meeting in Nashville, which next year it's in El Paso. I'm going to hopefully I'm going to take vacation so I can cover the bowl season, the bowl bonanza in May or in April. But uh, but they said they told them straight up, like, hey, this is not a traditional bowl game. These teams will not be here a week in advance. They're going to be here two days in advance. So that means all the charitable events are I wouldn't say they're gone, but at a at a minimum, which is sad for the communities, um, the 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 commerce that comes with fans travel traveling, it's going to be harder, you know, because you're going to have two bowl games to travel to in one winter vacation, and unless you're playing in the, unless I unless you're like Texas playing in first the Cotton Bowl, and then the Fiesta Bowl, like that is a very tough demand for all for all fan bases. Like, for example, Jackson, uh, you have. One quarterfinal in the year 2024 being the Fiesta Bowl, and uh, the next week you have either the Orange Bowl or the Cod Bowl. So it's a very real chance we, that you are asking a fan base to travel from Arizona to Florida in the span of 10 days. And then the trip to Florida is determined nine days in advance. So it's just going to – like the playoff is is great for, for fans, and it's also bad for fans. It's also paradoxical. The 12-team playoff is paradoxical in nature. Long story short, I feel like um, in, its, in, in its impact – Exactly. Now, I want to assume, and I think it's kind of already been, even if it wasn't like a firm announcement, you can kind of deduce from the graphics that have come out. It is kind of like the NCAA basketball tournament where it's not highest versus lowest in each round. It is going to be, okay, you have the winner of one versus, I'm using a basketball example, the winner of one versus 16 versus the winner of eight versus nine or something like that, right? So you can kind of figure out if we go all the way, which is the plan to, these are the stops we have to make along the way. But like you said, you don't know. You can't like book the plane tickets, so to speak. I know they don't book their own plane tickets, but you can't mentally prepare fully until the first round is actually done. So I do see your point on there. I think another aspect that I haven't really heard talked about the new format that's being lost compared to the four team playoff format we are losing some of the debate. I think that was what like the only fun part of the committee, even if they didn't always like get it right. At least there was a debate. It wasn't like 
okay, we can plug these numbers into the BCS like computer system and know what it would be. No, there's like, there, there's conversation revolving around it, right? And you lose that conversation unless you're talking about who do they put at 12 and who do they put at 13, which I don't think a, a very casual college football fan might necessarily know the differences between that 12 and 13 seed. So I think we're losing out man, are you putting the Pac-12 champion in or are you putting the Big Ten champion in? You know, you're losing a little bit of that. Um, But that's, you know, if that's the cost for a a more accurate national champion, okay, you know, I guess. I just don't think it's a guarantee that we necessarily see that. So now college football does have the advantage of it being football and there's only one game played. It isn't like the NBA or the MLB where like it's a series, right? And so truly, even if there is a upset, generally the better team is going to win because you have up to seven goes at it. No, we still can see upsets. We still can see Cinderella stories. Um, but the rich generally do get richer if you're Bama or Georgia and you're the number one seed and you get a bye week, you know? So I don't think it's, I think it's still beneficial to the top heavy teams, but we'll see. The only way to know is to actually watch it play out. Yeah. So uh, the point with the debate is a great point because I think, so while I don't think the regular season is devalued, I don't think you get those very, memorable nights in like late November and the first thing that came to mind when you said the debate was I thought about 2010 Boise State versus Nevada where it's like that that game is a game that will live in infamy because that might have been you know pre-Cincinnati the the first shot that a group of five slash non-automatic qualifying conference would have had to go to the BCS game. that's why the game lived in infamy that's why Kyle Bratzman you know a poor guy I mean that's why his name is just you know known for you know honestly eternity um in a 12-team playoff you know say Boise State rolls in as the top-ranked group of five school you know they lose one game they're probably still going to be the top-ranked group of five school and this is probably still going to have a a six or I guess would it be a six seed they I guess they would have a six seed in the uh in the tournament or sorry in the in the in the playoffs so um, I'm, I'm kind of going to miss that, even though who am I to tell that nights like that won't happen, you know, but it won't be like kind of a, a very, you know, I guess a very high, high leverage situation Um, it, it, with a lot of these regular season games, you know, maybe for the group of five, it will, maybe the group of five race will be the one that has the debate in it. But for the other 11 or so spots, that debate kind of dies. And I have to agree with you, Jackson. But you could also make the argument that hit, already died if the teams are at a certain caliber you look at ohio state michigan this past year you know what one team lost one team won they both made the playoff anyway so there's only like so much debate i guess that that it at all that it dies when we've already seen an example where it plays out or even i believe i can't remember the year but an example of like the SEC championship, I think it was Alabama and Georgia, and both teams ended up going anyway. So it's not the end of the world. You're just never going to see, like you talked about with the Boise State Nevada. I also, the first game that comes to my mind was 2006 Ohio State, Michigan, one versus two. The winner presumably would end up and did end up playing Florida in the national championship. Um, but that's maybe it already died, but at least it uh, dies to a higher degree since you've got eight more spots to fill in and omar you talk about the debate between the group of five teams that's the diehards on twitter that already know about those and we're already having those debates for whoever gets the new year six 
you bump into a college football fan in Starbucks, it's not necessarily they're they're not going to know if you know Memphis or SMU is going to go or whatever the the hypothetical group of five you know winner in loser out scenario is. So. Yeah, so I mean that that that's a good point for sure. But um, like you said, like the diehards do do that. And of course, yeah, like that's a good point. It's like in a sense, games of the century, number one versus number two for all of our all of our pre-BCS college football fans, you know, games of the century kind of like don't matter anymore because um, you know, the tw- well, first you have the BCS that paired, you know, one versus two. And even even then, like when you had games of the century, like in the middle of the season, like 2011 LSU Alabama, well, they, they played again for a second game of the century between the same two teams. So it's kind of cheap and like it's like and it's like it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's great that we can have regular matchups of one versus two, but it's like matchups like uh, 2006 Ohio State versus Michigan, where it was a game of the century and, and in essence, a playoff game. Uh, we, we lose that. And it's it's sad, but we'll I think we'll have to adjust as college football fans. They like the playoff. Um, and I think some good come. I think good comes out of playoff and playoff expansion. Uh, the playoff and playoff expansion because, as a group of five fan, uh, ending the twenty thirteen uh bowl cycle, the group of five really did not have many bowl slots. I think it was like 13, 13 to fifteen bowl slots. Now that is obviously expanded, uh, with the playoffs. So that is and that was a direct result of the playoff. I think, uh, the expansion of, of group of five bowl opportunities. So. I don't think we'll see an expansion of opportunities, but there will be good to come from this playoff in terms of the structure of the season. So, um, yeah. And what are we going to do? Are we going to turn it off? Are we going to not watch? Like we will adjust. We will enjoy it. We will figure it out. Just going to be a new normal. And as we just got settled down to the 14 playoff, at least I feel like I did. I'm going to have to wait another decade to get used to the uh, 12 team playoff format. So, but we will just, we'll enjoy it. We'll cover it as always. Um, so I don't want to end on an overwhelmingly negative note, like a lot of outlets do. So, but, um, Omar, we did say that that wasn't our main purpose of the podcast. So we'll go ahead and move on to how it affects in our opinion, some of these displaced bowl games that take place during the new earlier rounds of the playoff. So there's really two sets of bowls that are heavily impacted by the 12 team playoff format. The first set is going to be the bowls that occurred on the weekend before Christmas. That's going to now be the round one of the playoffs, which are going to take place on college campuses. Those were mainly the Fenway Bowl, Celebration Bowl, which is obviously the HBCU National Championship, essentially. The Las Vegas Bowl, Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, Lending Tree Bowl, New Mexico Bowl, and Frisco Bowl. Not to be confused with the short-lived Frisco Classic. Um, The second set... It's going to be the New Year's Day, like January 1st, assuming it's not on a Sunday, bowl games, which were traditionally set for the college football playoff and or New Year's Six. And then generally one or two bowl season games that they would throw on ESPN2 or ABC one way or another. Um, You generally had um, a game at noon. You had two games at one Eastern. And then the five o'clock, usually Rose Bowl, 845, usually Sugar Bowl. The three games that occurred in the early window of January 1st, you lose two-thirds of that because that is now going to be a playoff game. And so usually it's the Tampa Bowl, and then it rotates of what the other New Year's Six Bowls are that are on there. 
Um, but yeah, you, you lose, um, you lose the two thirds of that window. And so where we think and when, I guess, mostly the Tampa bowl will be played, but, um, we'll go ahead and start off with the first set. Omar, you're a, a bigger fan than me of the Fenway New Mexico bulls probably. So you tell me, what do you think about those? So first off, uh, I just, I just want to say too, you're forgetting probably the most important non-year six bowl. I'd say in the whole landscape, the citrus bowl, of course, every single oh, year. Yes, on New Year's, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. The Citrus Bowl. Oh, been, yeah, been broadcasted on ABC, I think, every single year since 95 or 96. So probably a lot of people's, probably part of a lot of people's New Year's Day tra- traditions. In fact, in fact, ABC, from what I can remember from uh, my high school years, I remember they would air the Citrus Bowl when they got back the rights, of course, to the New Year's Six Bowls. They would they aired the Citrus Bowl over New Year's Six Bowls, which I always thought was an interesting broadcasting decision. Maybe it was directly within the contract of the bowl itself and not for ESPN to determine. But I always thought that was interesting. And for that, I've always been a fan of of, uh, of the Citrus Bowl because it's always been kind of like a, a landmark to a past – excuse me, past time in college football. You know, if I if I close my ears, I can imagine Brent Musburger still calling the game, Um, but uh, like, like in the 90s. But uh, go <laughs> – go, no, go ahead. I was just going to say I'm going to uh, to miss on New Year's Day eating Cheez-Its and drinking some orange juice at the simultaneous simultaneously as we're watching the Cheez-Its Citrus Bowl. But just a bad joke about the sponsor. You're, you're going to miss it. It was just one year that Cheez-It was a sponsor. You'll, you'll adjust, Jackson. <laughs> it was just one year. You'll be fine. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, so starting off with like you said, the so it's it's kind of tough to tell. So for me, in in the bowls you just mentioned, there's really I think two bowls that are just or th- three bowls that are really fixtures of the opening weekend of college football that I can put my mind to the Los Angeles Bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, and the Celebration Bowl. That's all. Those are always like those other bowls have always been either like late editions, or like rotated around different dates with experiments. But the New Mexico Bowl has always been on the opening Saturday of bowl season since like 2006. And this year it got a boost too. Like this year, the atmosphere was electric. Honestly, I mean, uh, it was BYU SMU got a 1980s a 1980 Holiday Bowl rematch. You got a former WAC rematch, and thanks to the Raiders, you know they uh, they had to because of field uh, field I guess field transition um, issues. They moved the Las Vegas Bowl from a Saturday night spot to early in the afternoon. Um, that's all I'm gonna say about Las Vegas Bowl for uh for very specific reasons. But uh the New Mexico Bowl took the primetime spot. So you had two schools that at that point, of course, with BYU going to the Big 12, did not usually get the Saturday night uh football sub- spot. I think SMU has had just once. I don't think BYU's had it at all. Uh so yeah, those two schools on Saturday night football, uh on ABC. And of course, the fan environment was great too. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Those bowls are impacted because I guess those three bowls are really what you think of when you think of the opening weekend of college football, because those three bowls have been there from the start. But of course, ESPN has used other bowls as fillers on the opening Saturday. So, I mean, we're, I think in the long run, those bowls can benefit because uh, as I, I wrote in an article, which I'll, I'll link in the in the description below, but. These bowls can probably be dispersed to take place before the college football semifinals. If you have like two excuse me, two bowls per day from after after New Year's Day up to January 8th, um, for example, for uh, the 2025 season. I think you can disperse those bowls where each bowl gets their own TV window, but it just hurts for, honestly, the bowls that would get the ABC spotlight because for a lot of those, I mean, a lot of those bowl games, like uh, I can remember like the 2019 Boca Raton Bowl, ABC spotlight, 
2021, you had the Independence Bowl, UAB and BYU. UAB beating BYU on ABC was amazing for college football. And then last year, of course, as I just mentioned, BYU-SMU playing a close last-second game on ABC. It's just great for the group of five. And the group of five won't really have that anymore with the playoff. Um, So, you know, they'll have their own spot, but it won't be the same. I do want to point out that, like you said, the New Mexico Bowl and a lot of these always taking place on the opening Saturday of bowl season. Um, Because there are four playoff games on that first weekend before Christmas, one Friday night, and then three all Saturday long. So that's already announced. We already know that that's taking place. Um, And then obviously the NFL owns Sunday during then. So um, I will have another uh, question for you that I want to get your opinion on. These are on-campus games that are going to take place. Usually colleges have already started their winter break. Do you think we're going to have any issues with attendance or do you think it's kind of going to have that booster corporate feel that some of the New Year's six and semifinal games already have had, but on a college campus? So I don't, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's a, the students that'll really kind of be a bad, like, yeah, it'll be bad. I mean, it'll be like, excuse me, organized my thoughts. It'll be, it'll suck with a lot of the students like home for winter break. What's going to suck more is when you have Ohio state or Michigan hosting a December 17th or so, or a third weekend of December playoff game. That's what's going to suck more and hurt more for attendance because you know, the, the big house is, is cool. It's a cool first time trip, but the big house is always going to be there. You know, like you're, I mean, if you, if you want a bucket list, like, yeah, your team playing the big house is cool, but you know, a lot of fans will start to weigh the costs and benefits of having to visit the big house in you know, very cold Midwestern weather. So I think, I think that'll compound, but I mean, we always, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I feel like the gravity of having a playoff game for, you know, either, cause it's not just students. It's also local fans, um, you know, like fans that didn't go to the university, but live in the area um, that go to games too, could also carry the slack. So I don't think it'll be t- as big of an effect as weather uh, is in some, in some of these places. Interesting. That's not even something that I really thought about was some of these, you know, more North teams having the the bad weather. I don't think for Georgia, who is inevitably going to host one, I don't think it'll be an issue there. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good point. You also have to consider, I feel like a lot of college students probably live like closer in the area. So it's only a road trip away. I'm just curious, like, when those tickets open for those, because it is going to vary by school a lot, I'd imagine. I'm curious what those ticket prices are set at and then how quick if they do sell out. Um, but that's uh, that's a different conversation, obviously. Um, the second set of bowl games that I've already mentioned, the New Year's Day Bowls, Tampa Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, um, uh, that is going to be now as close to New Year's Day as possible. Really, the only exception to it not being on New Year's Day would be um the if it was a sunday but i want to get your thoughts on how where do you think or when do you think the tampa and citrus bowl will be played let's be honest i really so actually actually now that i think about it i mean the bowl window kind of tightens um a little bit uh it, I, I guess i guess if, if if a bowl season doesn't adjust like i think they will and they don't have any bowl games from quarterfinal day to semifinal day, then the bowl schedule will tighten. But otherwise, the bowl schedule will like loosen it. I, I think. I, I think that's how bowl season will work it out. 
But looking at the schedule for the quarterfinals um, on New Year's Eve of 2024, you just have the Fiesta Bowl in the evening. For 2025, you just have uh, you just have the Cotton Bowl evening. So there's an evening semifinal. In 2016, when you had Lamar Jackson versus Darius Geis and LSU in the Citrus Bowl, that game was not on New Year's Day. It was on New Year's Eve as a prelude to the, the playoffs, uh, which was a doubleheader, of course. So I, I think it's an easy move for both those bowls because those bowls do run concurrently. So maybe it's not end game for both those bowls, but uh, I guess in the backdrop of everything happening, you know, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many people will notice that the game will play, will, that the game is on New Year's Eve and not New Year's Day. I'm sure in the moment you will, but like looking back, I mean, you won't really, I guess, I guess it won't really make much of an impact. And like, now that I think about it, like when I think about like the Citrus, like Tampa Bowls, I can't really think of like many like exciting like endings, like re- like many iconic games. Like it's, it's always been a great tradition, but I, I just can't think of many like um iconic like games like that have happened honestly lately, like since 2014 or 2020, uh, well, yeah, this past season, like for like for the the ReliQuest Bowl, you have the the Mississippi State Illinois game, which, um, very emotional. Um, after the death of Mike Leach, a very sad environment. So that's the only what I can think of with like either of those balls. But I mean, oh, and and maybe the twenty seventeen Citrus Bowl, where like Notre Dame scored with like two minutes um left. But otherwise, I just think those bowls like exist and their tradition enriches them, uh, more than the excitement. Especially like the last thing I'll say is um. With the playoff and with the uncertainty of uh, of bowls like the Citrus and ReliQuest Bowl, last year's Citrus Bowl between Purdue and LSU was the worst thing that could have happened for the Citrus Bowl because you had a bowl where like at, like Purdue sat so many starters, LSU sat some starters, and like it was just uh it was just an ugly game, like sixty three to seven. It was it was a mess. Like and that's yeah. not what the Citrus Bowl is. Like Purdue was actually had probably like honestly. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say their third best season since 1967. They won their division in the Big Ten. They played for a shot of the Rose Bowl. They've only been to two Rose Bowl, or they've only been to one Rose Bowl since 1967, two all time. So that was arguably like their, their third best season of since 1967. And for it to end that way, because of the current climate of college football, very, very, very kind of concerning, you know, for the for the soul of college football. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I think we've been concerned about that for a while. You kind I kind of hope and and wish to see that maybe um NIL can help change that a little bit, that maybe you don't start preparing for the combine right away if uh if you get offered, you know, five figures to do an interview after after you play in a bowl game, right? But you know, we'll we'll see if that ends up being a thing or not. Um, one thing that I just noticed kind of, as I was talking before, we've only gotten the 2024 and 2025 playoffs, which obviously the Rose and sugar are the semifinals for this year. Do the Rose and sugar rotate out as semifinals again, for the 2026 season, which would put them on a Thursday and a Friday night in the second week of January. Do you think that's going to be the case for 2026? No. So I think so. I know that the committee and the Rose, the committee made overtures to the Rose Bowl that they would move without the Rose Bowl, that they would be willing to start the um to expand the playoff without the Rose Bowl. So the Rose Bowl is going to be different for sure. I mean, the Rose Bowl probably like if they're going to rotate between quarterfinals and semifinals, the Rose Bowl will look like it did when uh in like 2006 with the Texas USC Rose Bowl, how that game was the Rose Bowl. 
and it was on a Monday night. And the same thing with like 2001 with uh, Miami versus Nebraska when like that game was a Monday night as well. And like, you know, it wasn't just like the national title. It wasn't, it wasn't the separate national title bowl that we, that we became accustomed to in the BCS. It was the Rose bowl. So um, I, I see them like continuing with the rotation, but kind of grudgingly more so the Rose bowl grudgingly, but the, the sugar bowl, the sugar bowl is like that friend that, you know, copies your tests or like, um, you know, copies your test answers and rides your coattails because the sugar bowl for all I care, like they could, it could be played on new year's Eve afternoon or on new year's afternoon and not particularly new year's night. It was more so like a more recent thing. I think with like the Rose bowl having its own, like, I guess being known for a TV window because like it, you know, let's see, going back to like the, the sixties, seventies and eighties, the Rose bowl is broadcast by NBC. Right. And then NBC followed the Rose Bowl with the Orange Bowl, you know, and some I, there are some very iconic moments in the, the Orange Bowl, like the the two point conversion, Miami versus Nebraska, 83. So it's like I think when you think of New Year's night, I think you think of that. I think you think of the Orange Bowl, honestly, and not the Sugar Bowl. But, you know, maybe I'm more a historical guy. That's a hot take. I think you're definitely a historical guy. First bowl that comes to mind are don't even say bowl game. You think of, hey, what are you thinking of New Year's Day at night? I instantly think of the Sugar Bowl. Um, so that's that's my thoughts of it. I think you might be in the minority of that. But you let, let me let me let me bring this up. Let, let me bring this up. So twenty the twenty thirteen uh no, the twenty fourteen Sugar Bowl, the last Sugar Bowl before the playoff when Oklahoma upset Alabama. That was not an, I don't think that was on New Year's night, to be honest with you. I mean, I could be wrong. This could be a Mandela effect, but I remember that being like a separate bowl game. Uh, let me let me look that up. You said 2014 Sugar Bowl right before. Yeah, right before. Let's see. Um, let me look up the. I'm, I'm looking that up right now. Um, no, see. I I think about um this past year between Alabama and Kansas State, and that that just felt wrong with it being at, at noon. I think it was on uh it doesn't say the kickoff time. You are correct that it was on January 2nd. Was that because it that was, was a Thursday? January 2nd was a Thursday. Oh, so. oh man. exactly. So, so that's that's like my thing too. Oh that's, that's my thing too. Like it's been yeah it's it, it just rode on the coattails because like um let's see looking at the other bcs balls like the year before it was an 8 30 kickoff it was an 8 30 kickoff but that is very different what was, broadcasted, what was broadcasted on the night of of january 1st i gotta see 2014 bowl game schedule it was the orange bowl it was the orange bowl in 2013 really uh, so at least so for the 2012 season the 2012 season it was northern illinois versus florida state on new year's night and that's because I was looking back to see if that was a one-year thing. But um, for the 2013-14 season, it was a Fiesta Bowl. So it's like, it's always been like, you know, it's been rotated out, I mean. And it's just like, yeah, it, yeah, the, the Sugar Bowl. I can remember the Sugar Bowl being broadcasted after the Rose Bowl on, um, on actually, honest, in the Fox years, honestly, like one or two years. The one that comes to mind is the Hawaii Sugar Bowl was after the Rose Bowl. But I think um I think the one with um let's see, it was I think the the Notre Dame Louisiana or Notre Dame LSU Sugar Bowl in 06. That I think that was on a on a weeknight. But um again, like I'm saying, it's like it's like I feel like the Sugar Bowl wrote its coattails, and it's because they're tied to the SEC that um, you know, they're you know, that they that they got got the deal. 
Omar, I do have a question, um, and this is something that popped into my head earlier, but I'm seeing it again on here. You mentioned that some of these bowl games that we talked about are going to get displaced to the week between New Year's Day and the uh, the semifinals of the college football playoff. Do you think it's going to be kind of a throwback feel to the GoDaddy Bowl? And also I'm seeing the BBVA Compass Bowl. Do you think that's going to kind of have that feel where it's not a high-stakes bowl game, but is being placed on a weekday on the first week of January? I, I think so. Excuse me. I think so, honestly. Um but I mean, the fact I feel like those bowls, like they got attention, but it was kind of like, oh, like kind of just like I'm watching it because it's on like it's not exactly like a landmark kind of thing where it's like I'm watching it because it is a tradition, you know, no one's um, watching the GoDaddy Bowl out of tradition and it's going to be because it's football and it's on. So exactly. So I mean, which would be cool that they get their own spots because the first Saturday of bowl season gets crowded. Like I think it's like seven or eight bowls um in four time spots or four time slots so it, it you know there's competition there will be less competition with the expansion of bowl season but um but yeah so i i would i would have to agree but yeah i think i mean i i think it, though honestly i feel like the big losers in general for this for this for these bowls are the citrus bowl the citrus and Live quest bowls because they have to move off of new year's day and the Rose Bowl, too, because the Rose Bowl is the soul of college football. I don't care what anyone says. It's the soul of college football. It's the constant throughout every single change. And we've been able to figure it out um, even when we had to even when we had to sort of manufacture a one versus two matchup in bowl games. We still had the Rose Bowl. So the fact that we couldn't figure this out, it's very disappointing, honestly. But there's not much you can do. Uh, I'm a very much a control what you can control in your life person in. Just leave it at that. I do think that it helps a little bit, at least in my mind, that like I think back to one of the classic Rose Bowls. Really, I guess you could say two of them. And when you include that Texas isn't a, a, a team that would traditionally go to the Rose Bowl, and obviously that was the best one of all time. Um, I think back to even that Oklahoma, Georgia, Baker Mayfield, OT Rose Bowl, first overtime Rose Bowl that we ever had, one of the best to ever be played two teams that you would never see go to the Rose bowl. Otherwise, if it weren't for a unique situation. So it's going to take me a little while to not to get used to not having a big 10 versus pac 12 or big 14 versus pac 10 again, or whatever we will see down the road, but we will always have the Rose bowl. We're just going to have to get used to how it continues to evolve. Uh, and I mean, for me, I think I think the turning point in college football is the 2022 Rose Bowl with Ohio State and Utah when Jackson Smith and Jigba had 15 catches, like 347 yards. But it's like that was the last like exciting classic Big Ten versus Pac-12 matchup that yeah. we'll ever see in the Rose Bowl, at least at least on purpose. Um, this year's one was like the, it was kind of there was kind of a, a pall, uh, a cloud of sadness over it. I mean, I know the Rose Bowl itself is very cloudy, but it was just like, hey, like. This is, in the words of Kenny Loggins, like, this is it for this era, you know. It, it um, didn't help that when you go back and look at that day, the, the night of the Damar Hamlin incident was immediately following that. So it's just a very, like, cloudy day in memory of just not what you would like to see. I know exactly. that's unrelated, but that's what I think of when I think of the last classic Rose Bowl. Yeah, it, it, and it's just sad, too, that, I mean, it was like, 
you know, maybe, maybe that's just how the, you know, I guess the universe works things, you know, just, but just like a, a cloud of sadness was just over that, that whole day. Um, honestly, I mean, I mean, so, uh, but yeah, we'll see like college football will always adjust and will adjust as well as a uh, fans and aspiring media members. We've been doing this thing for 154 years at not us college football that is, but we we we'll figure it out. Like we will get it done, and and we will see how it evolves. And it's gonna look just as different in uh 150 years from now as it did 150 years ago. So, um, it's it's gonna take some getting used to, but look forward to to talking over all of it uh with you. I will so, say this, Jackson. I will say this. I do have I do I do have like one brief kind of like oddity in terms of the bowl schedule. Now that I think about it, so. The Arizona Bowl, I know in in uh before it got canceled in 2021, was supposed to compete with the pl- college football playoff. Um, very bold strategy. I'm not sure how it worked. Well, I mean, the game got canceled anyway. So I kind of wonder if like the Arizona Bowl, because like given its past trends, like in 2018, that game was played right before the Cotton Bowl between Clemson and Notre Dame. Uh the bad thing for CBS Sports Network is that game went into overtime and overlapped over the start of the Cotton Bowl, which is the worst thing that could have happened. So there's, it'll be interesting to see how the Arizona Bowl shakes things out. So I, I just I just thought about that. I don't know why they came to mind. It's only going to get more unique and more different with Barstool being the, I assume, continued sponsor of the Arizona Bowl. So if anyone's going to try something unconventional, it's going to be Barstool Sports, who, by the way, it's one of the only bowl games you don't have to have any subscription to watch. So it is going to have guaranteed viewership, if only from people who enjoy football but don't have a subscription. But um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm that's a good point that the Arizona Bowl has had some interesting uh ways of of doing their broadcasting. Did it compete with the Orange Bowl this past year, or was it? I think it was immediately before. But I feel like there was an overlap of it. Granted, this past year's Arizona Bowl did go into overtime as well. Um, but was it was it overlapping with the Orange Bowl? Do you remember? No, I think I think the Orange Bowl was star. I think the Orange Bowl was a nightcap, and um, if anything, there's just like a very brief overlap. But I, I think it was a brief overlap. Now that I think about it, because I did forget it went into overtime, but I do remember having Tennessee Clemson on, and then also um, the the Arizona Bowl. So, uh, well, we've got a couple minutes. I think we've kind of gone over everything else we uh, we wanted to. Um, Omar, you want to briefly kind of go over some of these week zero, week one opening games we're excited for? We already talked about Navy, Notre Dame, and Dublin. What's another week zero game we're looking at? I think Navy, Notre Dame, and Dublin is more so than being in Ireland. It's the first game in, I think, over two decades where Kenny Matalolo will not be a member of the Navy staff. And the first game since 2000, since the 2008 um, Army-Navy game where Kenny Matalolo is not head coaching for Navy. So, Interesting change there. The new option rules, too. We know Army switched away from the triple option to more of a shotgun option attack, more of a shotgun running attack. Uh, so we'll see how Navy adjusts to the – continues to adjust to the rule changes. So that's that's a huge one there. Uh, also coming to mind as well, uh, I'm thinking of the FCS Classic, uh, Mercer versus North Alabama. Um, I know I know Mercer has um, – has been on the outside looking into the playoffs for the past couple of years. That's a program that is just on the edge of, I think, just – uh, making the playoff in general. They just need a couple breaks in the SOCON. Just a very solid team. North Alabama, too, has had trouble. Sorry, I just got to look at the uh, the schedule, too, because uh, 
Uh, okay, and then you have a few. You have a few um, FCS versus FBS games. Uh, for week zero, it says it looks like UTEP's playing Jacksonville State. That's that's cool. Um, oh wow, San Jose State versus USC. That's interesting one. Hawaii Vanderbilt and UMass, New Mexico State. So I guess out of all the names, out of out of all the games I just mentioned, I really like. I really think San Jose State versus USC is intriguing. Uh, because of course Brett Brennan has a great thing going with that program too. Uh, Chevin Cordero is very experienced. Um, if Chevin Cordero performs well, I know we, I know we always play the group of five Heisman candidate, like in week zero, but he's playing against the defending Heisman winner. Like if Chevin Cordero goes throw for throw with Caleb Williams, I, I really think, you know, riders should be on notice. I think USC is only improved and Lincoln, right. Our Lincoln Riley teams are traditionally good in the regular season. It is up until December that they are elite. I don't think that's going to end well for San Jose state. But if it does go well, that is a big conversation starter because USC is very, I don't want to say overhyped quite yet, but they are very, very hyped up. So I will be interested to see that. Yes, if San Jose State goes, or, you know, throw for throw essentially against USC, that is going to be talked about, especially on what is a, a soft opening of college football. I just don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a likely event that will be an upset. That's not an expectation of mine for sure. Hawaii at Vanderbilt is probably going to end like it did last year, except it's going to be in Tennessee. Um, UMass, New Mexico State, you're more the expert on that. What do you think about that matchup? Two words, Diego Pavia. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, you know, I feel I'm not going to say like that. I saw Diego Pavia coming like before the uh, the regular season, but like, before the 2022 regular season, but honestly, like what he showed the country um, was really, really something to really like honestly marvel at. And of course with a weekend conference USA. So the thing with the thing with New Mexico state is they have a chance to make back-to-back bowl games for the first time since 1959 and 1960, uh, the Dwight Eisenhower administration. So the thing is too, is like the, you look at a non-conference schedule, they got UMass, they got UMass, New Mexico, um, Hawaii, that's already through in there, and FCS school. They play 13 games because they have a week zero schedule. So that's already four pretty much baked-in wins for New Mexico State. And they got to figure out three conference wins in Conference USA against Louisiana Tech, who struggled last year, Florida International struggled last year. The fact that New Mexico State lost to Florida International at home, that is one of the more bewildering uh, results, I think, of the group of five college football season from last year. So that's already two games that they can swing. And there's also two new members of conference who would say adjusting to, F- to FBS life. Now, granted, Sam- I expect Sam Houston state to have a good season and I expect Jacksonville state to be very competitive. So those aren't gimmies, but looking at that one too, like we'll see well, I-, I think we'll see the type of T, I guess, the uh, how much the experience in Mexico state, the culture of Jerry kill. Cause I think Jerry kill has got a beautiful culture there at New Mexico state. How, I guess how well it's improved because honestly, New Mexico State is a sleeper Conference USA Championship game participant for me and a sleeper New Orleans Bowl team for me, too, just because of all the bowl dynamics. There's only nine Conference USA teams and there's only seven that are eligible for a bowl game uh, right now because of the NCAA transition rule. So I think by default, New Mexico State could end up in the, in the New Orleans Bowl, which is the Rose Bowl for Conference USA in essence. Absolutely, man. No, I agree. I did not. I did not put the two and two together about there being so few bowl eligible, uh, no matter what the the number of wins are. Uh, Conference USA teams, but no, that is a very interesting point, and what a what a turnaround that would be at, at MSU. 
Uh, we'll move on pretty quickly to week one. Uh, week one is kind of spread out over the weekend, just a, a couple of days. We'll try and stay stray away from Saturday um, since obviously every college football, you know, or every Saturday is college football. Um, but what are some of the more like weekday games that you're looking forward to in week one? I haven't looked at the whole the whole Thursday night schedule, honestly, because honestly, the Thursday night schedule is filled with a bunch of duds, in my opinion, a lot of FCS versus FBS matchups. Oh man, um, you went in. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, like, there's nothing like, at, like, there's like, I mean, I, I think the Big Ten's gonna have a Thursday night game, but I'm not sure what game that would be, um, because they've they've opened on Thursday night on Fox like the past couple seasons, uh, so I'm gonna. I've I've got the schedule in front of me. I think one particularly interesting. Obviously, I'm gonna be watching Florida Utah that Thursday night, um, uh, but I think one interesting one is North Carolina A and T at UAB. Um, I think Trent, the start of the Trent Dilfer era in UAB, that's going to be an interesting, interesting way to start it. Um, I'm also always fascinated, especially at the beginning of the year to see, hey, this is one of our only chances of the year to see how some of these HBCUs level up against um, what's presumed higher levels of competition. That's going to be uh, UAB is coming off of a strong season last year with the win in the Bahamas Bowl, and they've got a new head coach that they're kind of modeling off of, I don't want to say the Deion Sanders effect, but having a, a known former player be the head coach, it's the start of that. And I'm interested to see how that plays out. That Friday night, Stanford versus at, I should say, on the road or over the sea to Hawaii. I think that's going to be interesting. Hawaii coming off of a very bad season last year. Stanford coming off of a bad season as well, but they lost five players to the NFL draft, which is a lot more than a lot of schools. They were already bad and they're losing five of their best. They also had two UDFAs interested to see how Stanford reacts to the loss of talent that they have at that. Um, Saturday, really the only game I want to mention is, is Colorado and TCU. What a way to start the Deion Sanders era of going on the road against a team who participated if you can say that in the national championship welcome to the fbs Dion. um i think that's going to be an interesting one there's obviously like a lot of traditional cupcake games uh that that is the vast majority of the schedule for that day but there are a few ones that are interesting virginia uh neutral site versus tennessee and nashville is also another interesting one um Omar, uh, as you obviously know, um, I, I, well, I, I am getting married on the third, which is that September. So I guess I'm kind of breaking the no fall wedding, uh, no fall wedding rule for us. Um, there are two games on that, that I'll vaguely be paying attention to possibly LSU versus Florida state in Orlando. Obviously they played neutral site again in the sugar bowl opening weekend in new Orleans. This one is much more friendly to Florida state. I'm more intrigued by the Oregon state San Jose state game. Omar, if you're not doing anything that day, if you could be my best man earlier, then we'll uh, kind of cap off the day watching those hopefully. So. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. I was about to mention that one for sure. The uh, San Jose State Oregon State game, uh, which you know, of course, yeah, like uh, you know, I, I know I know the compromise was a Sunday for sure. I mean, uh, you know, just uh, don't don't want to add too much personal details to this. Uh, also, to opening weekend as well, Grambling makes its triumphant return to the New York City Metro. How could I forget uh, against Hampton? So for all for all of you college ball lifers, you know, 
James Shaq Harris, the first black Pro Bowl quarterback, played at Yankee Stadium in the New York City Metro. Wow, it looks like I'm getting raptured as this El Paso sun comes out here. But um, but yeah, James Shaq Harris, first black Pro Bowl quarterback, first black playoff quarterback, played in, in New York City. Doug Williams, probably the first guy you think of when you think of Grambling football, played at Yankee Stadium in New York City. So it's just a great blast in the past to have Grambling back and again. It's just so many greats played in New York City. Um, so, but also too, yeah, that San Jose State Oregon State game was kind of interesting too because uh, Fox has not had Fox has not had any uh there's or Sunday Sunday afternoon games um I think okay sorry they've had one Sunday night game the infamous Josh Rosen comeback game uh which was kind of like the be I mean which kind of like the beginning of the end for um for who's their coach from 2017 or I think it was yeah the beginning of the end for Kevin Sumlin um so um. But yeah, so, I, mean, I did not anticipate us mentioning Kevin Sumlin's name on this. But well, yeah, th- that's wow. just what I think. Of. I think about the fake spike. Yeah, I think about the fake spike, and I think about like, yeah, that might have been the start of the end for, for the Kevin Sumlin era. Because of course, next year they hire Jimbo Fisher. So um, yeah, so I mean, it, it's just interesting too. And of course, uh, you know, it, it it's you know it's college college football, you know, on a Saturday, but it is your wedding, so you know it's but like, it's my best friend, so you know I'll allow it. There we go. So only two games that will be uh, missing part of, although LSU Florida state, that kickoff time is already announced for seven 30. Omar are good to be my best man. Hopefully for that day though. Hopefully, but you know, the army works. So we'll have to see. <laughs> Hopefully. So, yes. Man. If the army, yes. If the army does not take, if you the away. army allows you. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, man. Well, I'm excited for that. Nothing I would love to see more on my wedding day than either a, a guarantee LSU or Florida State loss. Really, uh, we've always liked San Jose State on this show, but love to see them beat Oregon State after what happened in the uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl last year. So, speak for yourself. I don't, don't want to talk yeah, about speak it. for yourself on that one. Um, um, I have the no vendetta. Low- <laughs> Lone Monday game, Clemson versus Duke. I can only assume will be a night game on Monday, September 4th. Um, I don't really think there's much to talk about there, but it is a do and en- always enjoy the uh, college football schedule being spread out over five days on week one. So, yeah, man, that wraps it up for me. Anything else for uh, for you before we hop off? No, you mentioned uh, Duke. Riley Leonard is a very – I think he's a better quarterback prospect at this point in his career than Daniel Jones was. I like Riley Leonard a lot. So just don't sleep on don't sleep on Duke Clemson, honestly, because Riley Leonard is a very solid quarterback prospect. Well, no, that's a very, very true. Uh, this is going to be the first time in a, a while that you go into a Clemson season, I want to say, um, without the thought of having an elite quarterback, though. So uh, because Trevor Lawrence was obviously the answer. Deshaun Watson was the answer. Um, DJ Uyangale was the answer until he wasn't. So um, the level of uncertainty in the summer and spring before going into the season for Clemson fans is something they haven't experienced in a while. So if you're a, a Clemson and Packers fan in the NFL level, man, this is probably your worst offseason in a long time. So agreed. Yep, agreed. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you, everyone, if you've made it this far. Um, I think that about wraps it up for me. Omar, anything else? Nope, I got nothing else. Uh, just stay tuned for uh, for a few more off-season podcasts. And uh, until next time, everyone, peace, love, and soul.